Hi, and welcome to our first episode of Canadian Turf Talks. I'm Dr. Sarah Stricker from the Guelph Turf Grass Institute. I have a background as a Bachelor of Science, a Bachelor of Education, Master's, and PhD in plant pathology. So my job is to kill and cure plants as a plant doctor. But I'm currently working as the Communications and Outreach Coordinator at the Guelph Turf Grass Institute. And I'm here with my podcast co-host Reg Langan. Thanks Sarah. Reg here so I'm the director currently I'm the director of landscapes for Greenwind Corp. I've been in the turf industry since I was 17. I started in the golf industry back in 99. I've been in commercial landscaping and snow. I've been in the parks department for the city of Mississauga. I've spent some time in the lawn care sector and I'm also a board a director on the board for Ontario Turfgrass Research and the OTRF board. Yeah, Reg and I are like the yin and yang of the turf industry. I've spent my life in a lab and Reg has had his boots on the ground. So we're going to be using this podcast to look at the behind the scenes in the turf grass industry of sod production, lawn care, golf, and of course, sports field management. I think the purpose is to shed light on some interesting stories around the turf industry that could be, you know, revolving around the people and the things that they're doing that are creative and different that you may or may not be aware of, and then to dig into some of those topics and learn a little bit more about the people, the places we live in in the turf world. Yeah, we want to learn from each other and improve life uh, in the turf industry, because that's the motto of the University of Guelph. We got to improve life. (laughs) Well, it's funny because the OTRF are models to improve the places we live, work, and play. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's get into this. For the first episode of Canadian Turf Talks, we decided to invite someone to represent the Canadian lawn care industry, specifically Kyle Tobin, the CEO of Lawn Savers Plant Health Care Incorporated from Vaughan, Ontario. Now, Kyle's business is award-winning, getting the Consumer Choice Award, Homestar's Best of Award, Reader's Choice Award, and recently, Best Places to Work from Lawn and Landscapes. But that's his model. Like that's Lawn Saver's model is it will make you say, wow. And I, I know in Kyle, I know he brings that every day. He's focused on culture. It's a big deal. You know, he he's, he's, I have much respect for the man. Like, Oh yeah. We chose Kyle as an example of a career in the turf grass industry where you can build a business from the ground up and be an entrepreneur. Now for more on that, we have Kyle Tobin on the line here. He is the Chief Environmental Officer and Principal of the Lawn Savers. That is correct. All right. I, I, I've had to double check that because environmental officer, I thought it was executive officer. Did you just make that up yourself? So I'm also the chief elf when it comes to our Christmas decorating <laughs> business. I don't know. I, I just don't think of myself as a CEO. I just find that those are weird statements for in reality, you know, small business. Of course, okay. Uh, Kyle, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the turf industry? Yeah, I kind of got in by accident. Um, So I started when I was 16 years old as a student um, called Starving Students. And the objective at the time was to make some beer money for the weekend, for our jam sessions. My lead singer and I, uh, my friend Bryce, um, we decided to clean pools. We saw some pretty good inspirational rock videos that showed how uh, um, successful you can be at cleaning pools and getting a tan and just, you know, having fun. And so we thought maybe, hey, we get some uh, beer money for the weekend and be able to pursue our rock star dreams while we were jamming. You know, 
makes sense, doesn't it? Isn't that why everybody starts? Oh, that's beautiful. So Kyle, to give you perspective, because I, I did the presentation at OTS this year. So then Sarah texted me and she's like, well, you do a podcast with me. And because I'm a glutton for punishment, I needed more work to do. I said, yeah, I'll do that with you because I think it's interesting. And I think there's lots of great, interesting people in the turf industry. And your, your name was one of them. So yeah, I'm the support, which normally I'm the out front guy, but I'm going to do my best to just try to let Sarah run her house. So she's kind of the the real worker behind all of it. Um, so in short, delegates to me. She'll be editing you the most. Oh, that's a hundred percent. I mean, I no. Well, I tend to I tend to overbear, right? So I was like, look it, it's your house. It's your house. I'm just here. I stand down. I stand down. All right. <laughs> so like, so you're doing all these odd jobs. When did you? When did you kind of, and how did you decide? Okay, lawn care is the focus. Not one person called us to clean their pool. Not one. And. <laughs> Uh, the first job we ever did was washing walls from an old veteran couple, and they paid us so well. We thought we were getting paid 40 bucks for four hours worth of work, like 10 bucks an hour, you know, <laughs> and they ended up giving us a check for 160 bucks. And we're, and we're like, okay, well, let's go back and change our flyer to any odd jobs done from doing landscaping work and construction work. Uh, I, so the easy one was getting out of grass cutting. Knew I didn't want to do that because just like we got into it, any odd kid with their mom's lawnmower can be your competitor. So we did landscape construction and then tree care and then irrigation. And I'd heard of the concept of recurring revenue. And so lawn care is the one that fit the bill. So I started focusing more on lawn care, doing applications. It also didn't make sense to me when I saw those tanker trucks out there, like the Chemlon tanker trucks. I always thought that that was, made no sense. Why would you apply all these things at once when you don't need them? Mm -hmm. And uh, coupled with the fact that I could only afford a 100-gallon sprayer, um, it all just kind of made sense together, just apply as necessary. I didn't know what IPM was at the time, but IPM, the concept in my head made sense. It just, I didn't know that's what it was called. Integrated pest management, right? You just respond to the situation as you see it. Yeah. Uh, Now, what kind of educational background do you have? Like, how did that prepare you to run a business. So I have a BA in political science, but lots of business courses. I've always been a student of business ever since I was a kid reading the newspaper. Um, I'd read the business section. Uh, I became an investment advisor, but kept coming back to my business. Uh, So I did that for three years and finally decided I didn't like it. It wasn't really a truly independent kind of business for me. So I learned to jump in with both feet and, uh, I liked it. I liked the fact that they were wearing construction boots, work clothes, yet they were successful and they just weren't showing it. Whereas the contrast in the investment industry, and I'm not trying to offend any of my friends out there that are still in it, the contrast was it was all show in the investment side of things. They were very successful or became very successful, but the landscaping, I loved the humility in it and it wasn't about show. Awesome. So what's it been like over that period of time to watch Lawn Savers go from washing walls to where you are today? Like, I think it's just a combination of all of the things together. Business to me is an evolution. It's like playing a never-ending game. And it's about strategizing and 
you know, whether it's snakes and ladders, you're falling back and then always climbing back up. There's always a challenge that comes up. I, I would say a lot of it's meeting people along the way, lessons learned along the way from others. That type of stuff comes to mind most. I always equated it with monopoly, right? It's monopoly to me. It's like, how do you build, you know, and, and it's always, there's the strategy changes as the game goes on. Yes. Right? Yep. This kind of links into the next question I had, uh, you know, what's the biggest, like, struggle you've had throughout these years you know what was the obstacle that you had to go over or maybe an obstacle that keeps coming up over the past few years people um (laughs) yeah yeah but you know the biggest most consistent struggle has probably been realizing my deficiencies um trying to have a better balance entrepreneurs kind of start off kind of thinking they can do everything by themselves right and often they have to, you've got to, money's tight, scarce resources. And then you keep hitting your head against the wall. And one day you realize, you know, you need more people. And I think that that's uh, always the struggle, always going to be the struggle. People say, oh, you know, you need to hire people better than you and other cliches that are kind of like that. Well, they're not cliches. You know, it's kind of, I guess, the development of you over time that helps you realize, yeah, I need people that are way smarter than me. <laughs> Delegation, right? Well, delegating the to people that are smarter than you, right? Yeah. I, I think it's that part where it's like any leadership role, right? You start to hand off. And as you hand off, you're not touching it as much. And so, you know, that creates some pressure to, you know, does this person really have what they need to be successful the way I want it done? Or But there has to be a point where you, you're only one person. You can only handle so many avenues, right? So having the right people in the right seat is going to be really critical to success, right? Yeah. It's kind of acceptance too, though, that maybe it mm. won't be the way you wanted it done. And maybe you didn't do it and you would have done it slightly differently, but it's still really good. And, and so that acceptance of that takes time. You can't just check the box and say, okay, that's what I do now. I just accept everything. You know, you have to learn to accept. Uh, what do you like best about being an entrepreneur and the, uh, the chief environmental officer? What is it that really gets Kyle going? I truly think what I like the best is seeing people grow. When I really think about what gets me all tingly inside or something like that, it's somehow making a positive impact on someone's life, someone's career, uh, someone's home, someone's life, someone's challenging situation that they're encountering. And it's not always work, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I know that you just recently won an award for best places to work from London Landscapes. Uh, I mean, just listening to you talk makes me want to work for you. But what do you think made your organization the best to work at? Well, number one, I didn't win it. <laughs> And and I mean that seriously, though. We won it. Yeah. I didn't win it. Everybody here won it. They're the ones that answer the surveys. They're the ones that have created that culture. I've mildly guided it along and kind of amplified things that I like and tried to stop other things that I don't like seeing around here. But it's never just one thing. It really isn't. Um, because I still don't have the answer, but I always hated the word culture. I think it made mm. no sense. I thought it was too trendy. I thought it was too manufactured. I thought everybody just, when they talked about it, thought they're just going to create it one day and then, hey, it's done. It's not like buying a truck. It's 
it's like a, a hole that just fills itself and you can just help it along. And that's truly, once I started figuring that out, that I couldn't make it myself, that's where it kind of clicked for me. I think I'm on the right road right now in helping everyone around here create the culture that they want to work with and work in. Are you hiring? <laughs> I think it, he's always hiring. He's always hiring, Sarah. I think it's a very dynamic thing, right? Creating that culture or whatever you want to call that, that workplace. I think it's just caring about the person next to you is the number one thing that I I find creates a good culture. You know, that's the key to creating that environment, I'm going to say, that people want to work in. And some people don't want to be part of that. Some people don't view their job in that way. I want to come in, do my 10 hours, be gone. And that's cool. They can go work somewhere else. I've had some pretty talented people here that just didn't seem to care about anything or the people around them. And you could tell. And either A, they just care about themselves or B, they just don't care about anyone else. I mean, some usually it's both. It's not going to work out. I don't want to work with it. And why the hell would I think that anybody else here would? Yeah, your slogan is, will make you say, wow. Where did that slogan specifically come from? Like, how did that come to be? It, it, it took a long time because I hated mission statements, especially when you see these long paragraphs. And then there used to be a time where people expected you to memorize those. It made no sense. I knew it needed to be short and sweet. I think I found myself saying something like that, that our job was to make somebody say, wow, uh, those types of things. And I had to kind of figure it out. How did it click? Because really what make them say wow is about is making each other say wow first, then making the customer say wow, and in turn, making the company say wow. So, so that doesn't just happen by sitting down with a piece of paper one day. It's a lot of yeah. turning in your head and your brain over years to kind of come up yeah. with that. The only mission statement I know that's shorter than that is the University of Guelph. And we only have two words and it's just improve life. But we've been, you know, here since, uh, what, 1964. And it was much longer and it's boiled down to the end. It's improve life. Just always be improving. I was going to say, was it always that way? Because I doubt it. Because it mm -hmm. used to be like the longer, the better. And yeah. uh, maybe this is the trend, the shorter, the better. But but it makes more sense, right? Because the, the, the mission statement should be something that you can tie all ideas back to. So making it simple and easy to remember is really critical. Now, I mean, I don't want to age you at all, but you've been in the industry for a little while. But uh, what would you say if you could have a time traveling machine and you go back uh, to the Kyle that had just started the lawn savers business? What would you tell that that version of you? I'm still very young. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> subjective, subjective, Sorry. There's much older people around this business than me. That's for sure. I would say take different risks earlier in life where the failure doesn't matter as much. It's harder to do that with three kids. It's harder to do that with a mortgage, harder to do it when you have, you know, more payments and things like that to make. So usually people have a good sense of what they know the right answer and the right thing to do is and you got to just go for it and uh you know you got to trust yourself and you can't be dumb about it like i mean think about it think it through a little bit but take those risks go for it um do it earlier um because it takes time for a lot of things to grow and flourish and 
you have less and less time the later and the older you get. I think there's a book that I don't know if you've ever read, but Daniel Pink's a great author and he's got a book called Regret that he just came out with. And it's the biggest regret that most people have is the action they didn't take. Right. And I always, always, I always liked it. It's like, try, you know, trust yourself and take, take a risk. Yeah. I think the stakes are the same kind of, but the, the consequences aren't as bad, mm, I guess, you know, like, like that's the thing is you can deal with those consequences earlier. Mm. What goal after all these years, you know, it's not that many. Cause like we said, you, you are young. What goal is out there that you still want to accomplish? This is going to sound, um, I don't know. Well, it's going to sound like the truth. It's time as I'm getting older. Cause I do recognize I'm getting older. I'm seeing my children grow older. I mean, I have one that's often going into second year university now. I still think I'm really young in my head, <laughs> but what I'm realizing is, oh my God, they're going to be gone soon. Mm -hmm. And the problem with being an entrepreneur is how much time you put into your business. And sometimes you think that putting time in is the answer mm -hmm. versus just doing things smarter in less time. And I think that's where I've really kind of failed over the years. So although I know that may not seem like a goal, it, well, it is still my goal. My goal is to get the hell out of here earlier. I have an alarm clock that goes off at four o'clock on my phone now because to remind me, yes, I'm thinking about leaving. I'm going to take that advice. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. usually I don't think about leaving until everybody leaves the office. Yeah. Right. And then I start thinking about leaving and then I realize I haven't done anything that I wanted to do today yet. And then you stay there later. I think a lot of people have, uh, they fail themselves that way. Um, mm. Because isn't that the point of being an entrepreneur? You're supposed to be able to have it all, you know? Yeah. I think it sounds like balance, right? And that's the the, the balance. And it, the, the thing with balance is it's not, it's not finite, right? Because you're, especially in a seasonal business, right? It's recognizing that more time does not equal more success. Right. It's mm. not I'm not being paid by the hour. Right. My outcomes are not measured by the hours I put in. It's yeah. by the focus on the right things. So I want to I want to ask a follow up. If in Kyle Tobin's mind, how do you define success? I used to think it's money. I used to think it's size of the company. I used to think all those things. Seriously, it's seeing other people become more and more successful around me. Right. Yeah. Um, but career success will ultimately be more time for my family. Is there someone in the turf industry that you actually admire and look up to and or maybe go to for advice? Besides Dr. Stricker and Reg? <laughs> sure. Wrong person to look for for advice from me, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes you're I'm, I'm a little afraid to name names for fear of leaving somebody out because um, there's so many great people from Paul and Rhonda Gaspar, uh, Jen and Chris Lemke, Roger Mangeon, uh, Gavin Dawson, Alan White, Richard Reed, um, Andrew Zeeler, uh, Lauder from the States too, uh, Beth Berry, um, she's awesome. And the whole Real Green crew, there's so many great people there that I met. A lot of friends and colleagues in the peer groups I've been uh, uh, lucky to be a part of like uh, Trent Ragar down in Arkansas, the Leahy's in Maryland and others uh, in there as well. I, I mean, you know what it is? They all love to give um, and they share and they don't view anything as a competition. You mm -hmm. know, it's what people do with ideas. It's not 
the ideas themselves that are meant to be held tight to the chest and not show anybody. I mean, those are just some of them. There's a lot of others. Those people are there often when you get tired of being in business, you get tired of your industry because I, I mean, maybe I'm the only one that gets tired in the turf industry. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> like in the spring or something. And, uh, you know, when you just want to say the hell with it all. Um, but those people are always there to pick you up a bit just when you're about ready to quit. What, what's been the biggest challenge and what would you say is the biggest challenge in actually managing lawns, like in actually managing turf grass, like more technical side, not people side, but like what, what have you found has been like, wow, we just can't beat this. See, I, I wouldn't name like a disease or an insect or some sort of vector like that because those are things that can be overcome. Weather and people. Hmm. Weather meaning, like, I don't know, it's getting hotter, drier, more extreme, these types of things. Yes, I believe in climate change. I don't know if it's global warming per se or whatever, but it the weather changes seem to be just more pronounced. And it's harder without certain products, right? So many products that we have to use today are temperature dependent and they mm -hmm. can't be used in the heat. And that's really tough. And when I say people, I'm talking about customers talking about convincing people that we don't do it all for them, that uh, it's a partnership and they have to do their part. And we call it the gym analogy where it's like, I can, you can hire a personal trainer, you know, and they can make your muscles hurt, but they're not going to go home with you and make you do your cardio, make you eat right, make you do uh, drink lots of water and do all those smart things that really get the results. I would say those are the biggest problems uh, when those things are more temperate and people are doing their part. They think we're heroes. It's, it's funny being in the being in the industry as long as I have. You've learned you learned that Mother Nature can make you look like a hero and can make you look like a zero very quickly. And a lot of people don't know. And and you can stand there and you know people ex expectations are there, but you're like, look, you know, you have the resources you have. Like it's forty degrees every day. You know, there's there's no plant out there is has air conditioning, right? It's you know you're putting moisture down, but it's still not working. Like there's just some plants just shut down. It's just the way the world works right so so don't wait until it's been 35 degrees outside for seven days straight and then go oh maybe i should water my lawn my lawn yeah you yeah. know oh, you've mentioned a couple times now that uh, one of your biggest issues is people and you, you've mentioned that with the customers but i know a big issue in the turf industry in a larger sector uh is f hiring and finding enough staff so do you have any tricks or tactics for hiring your seasonal staff? Well, I got a ton, but I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that too. I was like, he's not going to share that out loud. Come on now. No, I, uh, I, I, I wish I did have that. And really the biggest trick right now that we're using is I'm involved in that most of the time right now. I've kind of pushed other things aside and it's just constant searching, searching yeah. for like really it's like the old guerrilla marketing idea. You just, it's, it's what you talk about and focus on the most people start doing. We all know referral, like employee referrals or searching out for resume databases. We all know uh, handing out cards, whatever, all of those types of things. But I think um, the more we talk about it and keep hammering on it, the more that people start thinking about it a little bit more, it's not, 
it's not always in somebody's best in, or in their front of mind, sorry, to be thinking about, hey, let me get a referral for the company because I can see how that will automatically make there be less load on my shoulders and then my life gets easier. I mean, I think about that, but others are like, I got to get these jobs done today. Um, having a good story to tell obviously matters. Uh, and, and then telling that story over and over again. And then another, I guess a big part of it is just keeping your promises to people. Those are the things that I notice in interviews where I'm shocked that other companies don't keep their promises. Um, there's the big secret. It's out. <laughs> Give us an example of a property that you guys do your your, your jobs on that is really interesting. Something, some, some customer that you could share that is a really interesting spot where you first went out to, let's say, quote or someone did. And you're like, wow, this is going to be a sweet, a sweet opportunity. So being in the turf industry and doing Christmas decorating and because of the fact that we have so many clients, it's always fun to recognize a name or seeing a property that you just didn't know existed, whether it's overlooking the whole city. Um, you know, I, there's some pockets around Casa Loma where I guess the elevation just changes and all of a sudden the vista, it's like just incredible. Or a lot of guys love posting on our internal chats when they're overlooking Lake Ontario, whether it's over mm -hmm. the bluffs or in Oakville and they're at these amazing estates and it's just a cool breeze coming in on a hot summer day doing St. Joe's Hospital on, for Christmas. Recognizable properties are always a lot of fun. But the one story that I love was uh, back in the days when I wanted to be a rock star, uh, the first concert I went to when I was about 13 years old was Triumph. And they're from Toronto. And uh, so I was pretty young at the time, like meaning like in my early 20s, I think. And I remember call display just happened. And earlier on, when I was like 16-ish, was when we did a movie called Prom Night 3 with our band, and we had to record at a studio called Metalworks in Mississauga. And in the back of that studio was the drum riser and the backdrop of the Thunder 7 tour, my very first concert, right? And I remember being there. And so Triumph was in my blood. I loved them when I was younger. And then it was like, oh, then again. Um, and then one day with that call display pops up Metalworks. And he's like, yeah, you know, so my boss needs somebody to come and take a look at his property. And I knew that I knew what Metalworks was. So um, I'm like, I'll be right out there to take a look, <laughs> you know, and it was in Mississauga. We didn't service Mississauga yet at that time. So I raced out there because I'm like, it can only be one play, one, one boss. I know who the boss is of Metalworks. And it was Gil Moore, the drummer and lead singer of Triumph. And so I get there and I'm telling you, this was a quintessential 70s rock star pad. It was <laughs> like a bungalow that just shot out in different ways. And I'm telling you, the pool was shaped like a piano. And it was, uh, it was just so cool. So I did anything and everything. I mean, I probably quoted it far too low, but I wanted the job. And I, I, I threw in everything to make sure that this worked. And then one day he calls me back and says, yeah, you know, my boss wants to meet you there to go over a couple of other things. So I race out again. And sure enough, it's Gilmore. A little balder, a uh, little older than I remembered. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was him. And then we start walking around and he's like, oh, you know, you've done. He's like praising me. And then finally I just crack and I'm like, Mr. Moore, you're the first concert I went to. <laughs> 
I'm That's a drummer. Hilarious. I always wanted to be a drummer like you and all this stuff. And I can't believe you're saying this about me. You know, and it was just, it was a blast. I loved it. So, so I, I know you're a drummer. Do you have any other hobbies that, you know, outside of turf that kind of get you away? Uh, well, I mean, I love playing hockey. I don't know. I don't get a chance to indulge in my other hobbies as much as I'd like because of that stupid time thing. Um, mm. One of these days, I'm going to be a pilot complete. I kind of baby started my lessons. I've got all the gear, my flight bag, everything, but I've got to make the time to really get that license. I really enjoy flying. What advice would you give someone coming into the turfgrass industry today? Hmm. Remember you have a business and not just a hobby. Um, recognizing that if you're going to get into business, you're not creating a job that just pays you by the hour, that you have to create an actual business and entity that needs to pay for other things outside of just your own wage. And so I would tell that anybody new coming into it that wants to start their own business to really think of it like that. The other thing that I would say is it's not just golf. It's not just mm -hmm. golf to be in the turf industry. There's a heck of a lot more acreage of turf out there collectively in people's front and backyards. And when people really start seeing that, they can make a bigger impact that way too, and not just be in one sector in the lawn care side of things, the lawn care industry. So many people will find that uh, there's massive opportunities with great wages, great benefits and great opportunities to grow um, and still do turf. They're doing turf all the time. And they're uh, going to make a bigger impact. Homeowners care. And they really want to do right by the earth and do right by the environment. How good is how good is how good is Kyle Tobin's lawn? Oh, geez. I struggle with my son and daughters mowing the lawn the frequency that I preach. Um, and I, I don't have enough time to do it. Uh, it's it's not bad. Front's better than the back. <laughs> and uh, um, but uh not as nice as yours. I've seen you posting pictures, boasting about your lawn. Yeah, no, I, I also killed half my lawn. I like to mess with stuff, right? So I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I like to tinker. So I tried to top dress in November with topsoil and it got trampled. Like I made a huge mess. My wife's like, what did you do? So the bounce back, she's like, wow. I'm like, well, you know, all that education and schooling and conferences and it, it does pay dividends, right? Education's important. So, well, I guess maybe one last question is, uh, you know, what's, What's next for you and what's next for lawn savers? I think uh, what's next for us is to keep growing, growing those people around me, um, growing personally, and uh, hopefully you'll see me up in the sky before I'm too old. That's awesome. All right. I'm going to land the plane now, if that's okay. You got any more questions that you wanted to ask? No, I'm good. I'm good. That's a good analogy, though. I like it. I like it. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Kyle, for joining us on this. Uh, we learned a lot about being an entrepreneur in the turf industry. And I think we can all learn a little bit from lawn savers and uh, in taking care of our lawns as well. Kyle, as always, a pleasure. Enjoyed having you. Um, I'll leave the final words to you if you'd like to, uh, to say anything. No, it's been a pleasure to do this with you, especially for an inaugural podcast. Um, but uh, I, I, commend you guys for doing this because too often one of the things I've always seen in this industry is we don't have enough Canadiana like and I don't mean like CBC Canadiana I just mean 
we don't necessarily decide to do our own thing as much as we probably should. Thank you. Appreciate that for sure. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of Canadian Turf Talks, where we aim to bring the Canadian turf industry to your backyard. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Guelph and the Guelph Turf Grass Institute.